Hello, and welcome to the American Patchwork and Quilting Podcast. I'm Lindsay Mayland, and I'm so excited to be here with you. We have a great show for you today. We're sharing a helpful trick to finish your UFOs faster, some storage products we love, a story of quilting making a difference among inmates, and the history of red work. But first, we're going to take you on a journey to discover your dream sewing space so you can then take some small steps to make that dream a reality. So, let's dive in. The ultimate sewing room means something different to every quilter. There's no one-size-fits-all when it comes to sewing spaces. Each quilter's needs and decor styles are different. So, to start this process, we want you to do a little dreaming. Get out a piece of paper and pen and have it sitting nearby. Now, take a deep breath and close your eyes. Picture yourself in your dream sewing space. It doesn't have to fit the mold of the space you're in now or even be a room in your house. It can be anything you can imagine. Look around your dream room. What emotions and feelings does the space give you? Is your room warm and cozy? Or is it bright and energizing? Is it full of color and knickknacks? Or is it calming and clean? Now, turn your attention to the layout of your room. Is there plenty of space to move around in the room? Or are your workstations close together? Do you have separate tables for each step of the quilting process? Or do you have one workstation that accommodates everything? Does the furniture match? Or is it an eclectic collection of favorite pieces? Does your room serve more than one purpose, such as a reading nook, a place to watch TV, or a place to do handwork with a cup of coffee? Now look down. Is your floor carpeted? Are there rugs? Are electric cords visible? Lastly, look around your dream room and notice the supplies in your space. How are things organized? Is the storage clear or open? Or are supplies hidden away? Do you have bookshelves or closets? Do your pieces of furniture have built-in storage for your most used supplies? Take one more deep breath and give one last look at your dream space. Now, open your eyes and before your vision disappears, write down everything you can remember about your dream space. 
You can pause this podcast while you journal or doodle. We'll be here when you get back with next steps. Now that you have a clear vision of your dream space, we're going to guide you through the process of planning for this space. I'm here with Elizabeth, the art director of American Patchwork and Quilting, to help us. Hi, everyone. So we're going to call this process a journey because unless you have an empty room in your home or you won the lottery this year, the odds of you being able to create a brand new sewing space or even revamp the space you have are slim. Although if you're at the point in your life where redoing your space is possible, go for it. You have the dream plan, so now you can execute it. But for many of us, taking these little steps within our budget and our space will help us get closer to what we've been dreaming of. So some of the easiest changes you can make to your current space have to do with the feelings and emotions your space gives you. That was one of the first things I asked you to dream about. Elizabeth, why don't you explain more about how our listeners can change the feeling of their spaces? So lighting and paint can both dramatically change the space you're in, and both are really pretty affordable to update. Most of the time, we recommend a sewing space have natural color light bulbs so you can correctly see colors of fabric. So we recommend switching your bulbs out if they are more yellow or white. But if you're going for a cozy space, task and floor lighting can help the space feel more intimate, while overhead lighting will brighten the whole room. Think about the aesthetics of your room too. You can choose really funky light fixtures or even more modern to show off your style or use a minimalist design to help keep your space clean and simple. Paint can also have a similar effect. You can make a room feel cozy by choosing warmer paint tones such as creams or tans, or you can brighten a dark space with white paint. If you want to feel energized or creative, you could even go crazy and pick your favorite bright color for an accent wall in the room. I think I have personally tried all of these paint ideas in my home sewing room, and it's the room in my house that it's been painted and repainted the most. The walls have been painted orange, aqua, orange again, and now they are just basic white. After experimenting with colors, I found that I really love having neutral walls which feel like a blank canvas for all of the hobbies to take place in. The room is also quite small, so painting the walls white helped to make their space feel larger than it actually is. Yes, never underestimate the power of a coat of paint. Next, let's talk about the room's layout. Because how you have your workstation set up can really make a difference on how you sew and how the room flows. And this really depends on your individual space, so we have some general guidelines for you to consider. One of the most common ways to arrange a sewing room is with a triangle workspace. And what this means is that your cutting table, ironing board, and sewing station form a triangle in your room to minimize your walking distance between these stations. Now, this is a great to do, this is great to do if you have the space. Many times this is the most natural way to arrange furniture, so your room may already be set up like this. But sometimes people push all of their furniture against the walls to give the most space to the center of the room. But consider what your space might look like if you moved one piece of furniture or even faced one piece a different way. You may sacrifice a little open space, but you may gain a more efficient workspace. 
This is a great thing to imagine. I'm personally guilty of having all of my furniture pushed up against the wall. And what this means for my space is that my sewing table faces the wall, so I have just minimal space behind my machine when I'm sewing projects. And my cutting table is in a corner and right next to my sewing table, so I can really only access it from one side, which means I have to work a lot harder to cut things than, you know, having the freedom to walk around my cutting table. So I, I definitely want to try a few different arrangements of my space now to see if I can make it more efficient for me. You should definitely try some new arrangements. That sounds like a great idea. And I know my desk used to be up against a wall too, but this year I moved it to the center of my room so now I can walk around it and I also have a view out my window. It's amazing how having a view and just facing natural light has improved my space. Many times, once we arrange our sewing space, we tend to just stick with that arrangement because fabric is heavy and moving things takes a lot of work and muscles. But taking the time to rethink your arrangement may really make your sewing experience better. Another way to get a little closer to your dream sewing space is to make it feel customized to you. There are a few different ways to do this. The first is to consider the height of your cutting table, sewing table, or even your chair. You want the furniture you use often to fit your height. So your cutting table should be about two to three inches lower than your waist, so you can give direct downward pressure while cutting. So if your table is too short, consider raising it with bed risers. Your ironing board should also be at waist height and many ironing boards are adjustable. And when you're sewing at your sewing machine table, your arms and legs should both be at a 90 degree angle. So adjust the height of the chair or even the table if you need to. Now we know that not all furniture can be adjusted so easily. But if you can make an adjustment, your space will be more ergonomic for healthier sewing. And another way to customize your space is to add something extra special that you wouldn't necessarily need in your sewing room. When you were dreaming about your space, we asked you to think of your space if your space serves more than one purpose. Could you add a comfy chair and a side table to your room so you can read or do handwork in your space? Or maybe mount a small TV on the wall so you can watch your favorite show or movie while you sew. You could even add a mini fridge to store your favorite drinks and snacks close by so you have a little treat while you're sewing. Adding these unexpected elements to your space might just make, the, make it feel even more special to be in. I love that idea. It makes it feel like a little retreat when you enter your space. Now, we can talk about creating a dream space without talking about storage. Storage in a sewing room is necessary, but it's not always the most fun to think about because it's very functional. That's right, and storage can be really overwhelming to some people because it involves taking stock of everything you own, how you use it, and how it will fit in your space. But here's an easier way to break it down. Just think about one problem area in your sewing room. Maybe it's your acrylic rulers sitting in a pile in your room. Maybe it's a junk drawer in your sewing table that is just a black hole for all of your supplies. Maybe it's hard to reach your fabric in its current storage system. You don't have to spend too much time thinking about it because there are probably a few things that come to mind right away because you probably think about them every time you're in your space. Now, 
solve that one tiny storage problem. It could be a small change like decluttering that junk drawer or adding some separators to help keep things organized. Or it could be a big change like adding a pegboard to your wall to hold your rulers close by but off of your workspace. There are a ton of ideas on Pinterest and our website, so once you identify the problem, you should be able to find an easy solution. Yes, just take things one step at a time. You have your vision for your dream space written down. It's not going anywhere. Maybe you tackle one storage struggle at a time until you're completely happy with how your room is. Or maybe you save up some money and make a few changes to your space each year, like replacing a piece of furniture or upgrading your supplies or installing a design wall. One little step here and there will really add up to creating a dream space for you. We also want to point out that your dream sewing space doesn't have to be a huge room or full of the latest technologies or contain customized storage or furniture. Everyone's dream space can be different. Maybe your dream space is simply a comfy chair and a little portable sewing cart so you can do handwork while still spending time with your family. It could even be a shared space with your kids' playroom so you can interact with them and even slip in a little sewing lesson when they're old enough. Or maybe it's carving out a little space for your machine on your porch so you can look outside at the changing seasons while sewing. No matter what your dream space is, we hope that by writing it down and our ideas for taking it step-by-step help make your dream a reality. Thanks, Elizabeth. We're going to take a quick ad break, but when we come back, we're talking UFOs and storage products we are loving. Welcome back. Now I'm jumping into UFO Challenge, a segment where we share tips to help make completing your unfinished objects easier. It's the start of a new year, and we know many people have a list of resolutions they've made, both for their personal and their quilting life. We hear from so many quilters that one of their resolutions each year is to finish more UFOs, and we're right there with you. This is one of my resolutions each year too. But of course, I also have other resolutions that are not quilting related, such as to stop late night snacking and to spend less time staring at my phone. If you've studied habit formation at all, you've probably heard of the art of pairing or stacking habits, which is where you use an older habit to help establish a new one. And I'm using the term older habit loosely here. Many times an older habit you're pairing something with is more of a frequent activity in your life. An example of pairing habits that many people have probably heard of is to only watch a favorite television show when you're working out. So in this case, the old habit is watching a show you love. But the new habit you're trying to establish may be walking on the treadmill every day for 30 minutes. So by pairing this new healthy habit with one you're used to, you use that old habit as an incentive to form a new healthy one. We can apply this same strategy to finish our UFOs and accomplish another resolution on your list. 
Now, I would refer to sewing as an old habit. You probably sew regularly and really enjoy it. Now, here's my proposal. Get a UFO out, something that's been waiting to be finished for a while. And bonus points if it has easier units or blocks, maybe something you can chain piece. In this case, when you're pairing habits, it's best to pick something you can make progress on without getting frustrated. Now, every time you have that urge to do something you're trying not to do, maybe it's drink a soda or grab a cookie or shop online for things you don't really need, any habit you're trying to break. Every time you get that urge, make your way to your sewing space and start working on that UFO. Maybe you only work on it for five minutes or maybe it's an hour or longer. Either way, you're keeping your mind and your hands occupied on something other than that bad habit you're trying to break and you're making progress on a UFO. So you get that double feeling of accomplishment at having avoided the bad habit and gotten closer to finishing a project. I've been doing this the last few weeks with a UFO that's over four years old at this point. So every time I find myself just staring at my phone at night and endlessly scrolling, I take a break and head to my sewing room and start sewing. And I'm so surprised at how much progress I've been able to make on my project and how much my screen time has gone down. Now, this habit of stacking could also be used for a habit you're trying to increase, such as maybe reading more books. So download some audiobooks, and then every time you're in your sewing room, listen to one. It's a really great feeling to pair habits like this together and accomplish both at once. So I hope you try this and have luck too. Also, just a quick shout out to our UFO challenge. If you need support making progress on your UFOs this year, we'd love for you to join our challenge. We've talked about it on quite a few of our podcasts recently since the new challenge just started January 1st, so we'll link to it in our show notes in case you need a refresher on the challenge or you just want to join in. Now, let's talk storage. On this week's segment of What We're Loving, we're diving into storage products we think are really helpful for quilters. The first product we want to talk about is the Super Satchel from Artbin. You may have heard of the company Artbin before. They're a pretty popular manufacturer of a lot of the clear plastic storage containers that crafters use. The Super Satchel is a large plastic case with a handle, which makes it very easy to transport, and it also comes with 12 small plastic bins with snap-on lids to hold small supplies like pins, needles, embellishments, or even fabric scraps. So you can choose to store those small bins in the larger case or use them all completely separately in your space, kind of whatever storage you need. Another similar product we love is the Dritz Storage Tower. It's a collection of five plastic containers that stack and snap in place to form one unit so that you can use them separately or all together for your storage. 
So each container also has five compartments to separate supplies and of course a tight lid to keep everything in place even if you jostle the containers around. A sort of different solution for storage is the LED desk space organizer lamp from Otlight. This desk lamp has four brightness settings, so it's great to have on maybe a table next to where you sit to do handwork or even on your cutting or sewing workspace if you need more task lighting there. And then the lamp has a portioned base for you to hold your favorite sewing supplies like a rotary cutter or your marking tool. So it's kind of a great way to combine that lighting with some storage for your most used supplies. To keep your workspace clean, try the original mini trash can from Lots of Style. So it's this compact bin that you can set on your workspace to corral fabric scraps, thread bits, and other garbage in your space. They sell little cute trash bags that fit in the bin too. Or you can stray a little from its intended purpose and just use the container to hold your most used supplies close at hand on your workspace. And it comes in some really cute colors too, so it's fun to personalize to fit your space. Lastly, we want to share about the paddle bin from Brooklyn Haberdashery. It's this tiny three by three inch bin made of merino wool felt and the most gorgeous deep colors. Um, they're just so cute and they could hold small supplies like spools of thread, snips, bobbins, or buttons in a drawer or on a shelf in your room so it can be this cute decorative element that also is handy for just kind of corralling those small supplies. So we'll link to all of these products in our show notes in case any sound like something you need in your space and you want to check into them more. We're going to take a quick ad break, but when we come back, we'll hear a story about a group of inmates sewing quilts to give back to their communities, and we'll learn the history of red work embroidery. Welcome back. Now I'm going to hand the mic over to Allison, the designer of Quilts and More magazine, for Quilting Changes Everything, a segment where we share stories of quilters making a difference in their communities. Take it away, Allison. When you think about the average quilter, I'm going to guess that the word inmate doesn't come to mind. However, there are many programs in prisons and jails across the country that teach inmates how to sew and quilt. One of these restorative justice program groups is located in Jefferson City Correctional Center in Missouri. A group of 10 inmates attend meetings where they are able to sew quilts and blankets to be distributed throughout their community. Kevin Yancey, coordinator of the group, said, The quilts are a physical way for the offenders to make amends to the community for their crimes, so it is a vital part of the change that is necessary when these men return to society. In order to join the program, inmates must complete an eight-week class called Impact of Crime on Victims. During the last week of the class, people from the community who have been victims of crime are able to speak with offenders about their stories and how violence changed their lives. Due to COVID-19, classes have been on hold, so no new members have been able to join. 
However, those who had previously completed the class are continuing to get together to sew blankets and quilts, making sure to wear masks and socially distance. The men who work in the organization have felt the need for change, and this gives them a very positive and encouraging outlet to keep with their change. Criminality is an addiction in itself, so these men are in a constant battle to feed that addiction. By staying positive and seeing the effect that their blankets have with children and adults in need really helps them and makes them feel good about themselves, said Kevin. This group of individuals has recently donated over 100 blankets and quilts to the Rainbow House Children's Center in Columbia. Several of the blankets donated were weighted blankets to help those suffering from anxiety. The men also create fidget blankets for the elderly with Alzheimer's and weighted fidget quilts for surrounding county prosecutor's office to help children who are testifying. On average, they also donate between six and 800 blankets per year to be used in case of natural disaster, shelters, and other emergency needs. Restorative justice is a way of life for the inmates, and they learn to be responsible, Kevin said. I always tell them that they live in a glass house, which means that how they behave when they aren't at work reflects on restorative justice. They have been working very hard to remain violation-free inside the institution and live responsibly. While they do not sew on their own time, they try to mentor the younger men who come in and be positive role models. If they can, they attempt to put them in some of the programming to help them spend their time in prison productively. By making blankets and quilts, the inmates are able to connect their community in a positive manner and also create a healthy, creative outlet for themselves. Thanks so much, Allison. That sounds like an amazing program and one that can hopefully instill a sense of community and giving back to those involved. Now it's time for Collector's Corner, a segment where we explore an aspect of quilting history with our editor, Jody Sanders. Jody, what are we talking about today? I think it's kind of interesting to see trends today and then look back at their history and see where they all started. And today's topic is about red work embroidery. Are you familiar with it? Well, red work embroidery was really in vogue um, starting in the 1880s. Designs were traced onto plain fabric, uh, typically a white or an off-white cotton, linen, or silk. And then stitchers used turkey red colorfast floss to embroider designs onto those white or off-white fabrics. So red work was usually done with a simple stem stitch, and this allowed stitchers of all expertise levels to participate. It was actually the perfect project for children to learn how to stitch. Now motifs of that time included wildlife, flowers, and depictions of well-known nursery rhymes. Similar to what we think of um, today as block of the month or block of the week clubs, newspapers and magazines published block series, each with a theme and encouraging people to request a new block week after week to follow along and stitch along with other people. 
Now, these completed blocks were sewn together, usually side by side. Sometimes they had a sashing strip or a setting square, and that usually was a solid red fabric that separated the blocks. Now, if they didn't have anything separating the blocks, usually a feather stitch was then used to separate the blocks and provide a frame around each individual design. It was then stitched together with a crosshatch quilting motif, and that held everything together, but this simple quilting design was used so that it didn't compete with the beautiful stitching of the embroidered blocks. Now, they didn't just make quilts. Needleworkers also added red work to household items, and these often had monograms or words on them with fancy script. There were even small businesses that were started when women then stamped or transferred those designs onto fabric in multiples, and then they would sell the mark squares to their friends and family. Blue work and black work followed, which of course used blue and black floss in place of the red. And most of these items were made using just a single color of floss. Many colors were not color fast until the 1920s, and so red, blue, and black were most often used prior to that time. Now, you can Google red work embroidery to find lots of vintage patterns online for free. The resurgence of embroidery has seen new books and patterns published with updated motifs. Designs celebrating holidays such as Christmas, Valentine's Day, and the 4th of July are sought out by today's stitchers. Makers today prefer pearl cotton instead of floss because then you don't have to separate and detangle strands of six-ply floss. Designers like Robin Kingsley of Bird Braid Designs have digitized redwork designs for use with machine embroidery. Darlene Zimmerman designed fabric for Robert Kaufman Fabrics with redwork motifs, and these are typically sold as panels. You can add stitches to them or not and just leave them uh, as they're stamped to make an adorable baby quilt or holiday home decor item. Meg Hockey of Crabapple Hill Studio combines her love of embroidery with piece blocks, often in red, blue or black color schemes and adds crayon tinting for stunning designs for quilts and objects. Whether you use vintage patterns or new, I hope you'll give red work embroidery a try. Thanks so much, Jody. If you're interested in trying a red work project, we'll link to a few in our show notes to get you started. Now, we are just a few weeks away from our 500th podcast episode. We are so excited, but we do need a little help. Our 500th episode airs February 1st, and we're planning to have our staff on hand to answer listener questions. So if you have a question for us, shoot us an email at apqpodcast at meredith.com. We'll link to that email in the show notes. We're looking forward to hearing from you and making this episode something extra special. We'll talk to you next week.